Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Newman. I'm Professor of Space Law and Policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also International Space Law Advisor for Cold Star Technologies. I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization. Or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. This is Jason Gannigan, the founder of Cold Star Technologies and the host of this show. And I'd like you to take a look at the new and improved Cold Star Technologies website, which is at coldstartech.com and have a look at some of the services that we are offering now. If you're a defense contractor, space contractor, SBIR, who's looking to get some help with validating your commercial uh, path, I guess, path to commercialization, we can definitely help out with that. And also anything to do with space logistics, there's a pretty neat list of things there that we could help out with. Today's guest is Nick Shalan. He was the uh, Chief Software Officer of the Air Force and Space Force. He has a really neat pedigree. And I wanted him on because I found him on LinkedIn and he was causing a bit of a stir uh, because he is extremely forthright in his opinions. And I like that a lot. Um, I like Nick's perspective. He really understands how software development and zero trust networks uh, function and has done a lot to implement this kind of thinking and these processes in the DOD. He has strong opinions, (laughs) and so be ready for those. But uh, I really wanted to have him on board because I love the honesty and the the openness with which he has been sharing issues that he found in the DOD that frankly I have seen over the years out there in industry as an OPEX guy. And so when I saw what he was sharing and writing and talking about, and he's got his own show now uh, called The Nick of Time that you should uh, tune into, I I knew I had to have him on. So Nick, welcome. All right, Nick. So for those who have not heard of you yet, I don't know where they've been under a rock, definitely not on LinkedIn. (laughs) They would have heard (laughs) of you. Can you give us a highlight of your, your DOD involvement and chief software officer experience? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I started uh, back three years ago at the, the, the department first at OSD, uh, mm-hmm. where I was a special advisor for, for DevSecOps and cyber. Uh, you know, came from the commercial uh, side, of course, for the 12 companies. And uh, I even did an 18 month appointment at DHS, where I was the chief architect um, and special advisor for cyber as well. And then at, at OSD, we had such a great success with DevSecOps and bringing cool uh, concepts like containers and Kubernetes and all that good stuff. We uh, thought we, w- we needed a, an office to run all these uh, enterprise services. And so um, Dr. Roper at the time uh, in the Air Force and Space Force created the chief software office. And I became the, the first uh, US government, I guess, uh, chief software officer where the, the whole point was to uh, remove impediments and really mm-hmm. help DOD programs, you know, adopt DevSecOps and move at the pace of relevance with Agile and, and all the, the things we do on the commercial side. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I've loved your Ask Me Anythings. Uh, you've been very open about the, the experience that you've had there, <laughs> the yeah. hurdles, what really worked well, what not. Um, selfish question. I'm an immigrant from Canada. A lot of people don't know <laughs> that. They're very surprised to hear it. Uh, and yeah. you're, you, you came to the U.S. Uh, also from France. And mm-hmm. so... 
I would like to know how you got into the DOD. You created or were invited to work in these opportunities. So how did you go ahead and make the move to becoming a U.S. citizen and uh, being asked to join the state in these roles? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, after selling my uh, my 11th company, I wanted to kind of make a difference. And I decided to reach out first at DHS. You know, it was the time where there was a, the Paris attacks, you know, terrorist attacks and, mm. and all that stuff with ISIS. And uh, so I wanted to, to do something better than stupid mobile apps, you know. So, so I, uh, I tried to, uh, to reach out to a few people, but then they told me, well, you know, you, we can't do much until you become a U.S. citizen. And mm. so it happens I had, uh, you know, been engaged and married to a US, uh, U.S. citizen myself, so I could actually become a U.S. citizen. So uh, right when I became a U.S. citizen uh, five years ago now, um, a month later, I was at DHS. So, wow. uh, and, and honestly, uh, you know, in terms of how I got to meet the right, the right people, it's, 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 it's incredible the power of LinkedIn. Uh, you know, you mentioned my uh, Ask Me Anything events on LinkedIn Live and stuff. And, and that's how I got to reach out to uh, people. I mean, I, I sold 12 companies thanks to LinkedIn, uh, you know, connecting to the right people. And I, I, I got both the uh, DHS and DOD um, right point of contact through, through LinkedIn as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, LinkedIn. <laughs> it's been very yeah. helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned DevSecOps earlier, which is one of those portmanteau jammed together acronym type things. <laughs> um, can you explain what DevSecOps is for those outside the tech field? Yeah, so, so dev, of course, is development, sec is security, and ops is operation. And it's really uh, shifting left, removing the walls between uh, development and operation and cybersecurity and testing, and really uh, accelerate the delivery of small incremental value in production. Uh, so small, continuous, and uh, you know, delivery of value in production in the hands of the end user, in our case, the, the wall fighter. Uh, so releasing software multiple times a day, that's how you see you know, companies uh, deliver value today in, in, in the last, you know, five, six years when you see, you know, software updates and, and software uh, changing, you know, multiple times a day sometimes. That's all thanks to the, the principle of, of agility and, of course, uh, DevSecOps. Okay. Very succinct. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about your contributions in that field then to U.S. national security and uh, administrative effectiveness, I guess. Um, platform one might be a good good place to start there maybe yeah maybe. sure yeah so we, we tried to bring a few key uh principles coming from the commercial side the the first one of course was moving from devops to devsecops so uh bringing zero trust i brought the first large implementation of zero trust in the u.s government i tried to do that at dhs five years ago but uh, unfortunately the the leaders at dhs thought zero trust was just a fad and wasn't gonna stick so that didn't happen uh, but fortunately enough, in DoD, we managed to deploy zero trust at scale uh, in a very large, you know, enterprise organization with the Air Force and Space Force all the way to the edge and to weapon systems. So it's not just business stuff. And um, you know, we created the Cloud One and Platform One. Cloud One is a cloud office, getting access to five uh, cloud providers and streamlining and abstracting us so we don't get locked into uh, the cloud providers. And uh, platform one is the DevSecOps team that brings, you know, a lot of the key ingredients to deploy uh, a continuous integration, continuous delivery, DevSecOps pipeline. We open source a lot of the work. We created what we call Big Bang, which is the uh, DevSecOps platform of, of platform one, where we have all of the um, uh, technology available for people to reuse. We have now, you know, five nations, uh, 12 agencies outside of DoD and, and dozens of commercial companies using Big Bang uh, thanks to the open source contribution, which I believe is the largest contribution uh, of the U.S. government. 
uh, and still in active use by the U.S. government. Usually what you see is the government open sourcing things and then walking away. But in this case, we are still actively using it. So that's pretty cool to see as well. And, uh, you know, we, we built also Iron Bank, which is the container registry of containers. So we can uh, assess and harden and authorize a container coming from the commercial side, whether it's open source containers or, or commercial containers. And that's been uh, pretty incredible, 950 containers authorized within a year, which usually takes, you know, multiple years. And it's a very slow, um, painful process. So we're kind of removing also the impediments uh, for companies, you know, to try to do business with DoD as well. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and these, you can, the public can see these things. Uh, they do yeah. have web websites. Yeah, uh, I'll, link, I'll link to <laughs> some of them below in yeah. the description. And uh, we can go check that out. And it, I have to admit, it is a little intimidating and I had a lot to learn. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, I've had Maya, my assistant on with me um, so that she can learn as well on these Ask Me Anything. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. And, and we've learned a lot. Just, yeah, uh, and it's all recorded too. So all these ask me anything are, are live. So people that miss them, uh, even in my time in the government, I did about you know 15 ask me anything events. You know, thousand people joining. Uh, it's all recorded on the software.af.mail website. And then now you know that I'm out of the government, I created this kind of podcast called the In the Nick of Time, mm -hmm. Nick and I see, of course, based on my name. Right. Right. And that's how we we continue kind of uh, giving the mic to uh, some of the. Uh, great leaders in the government, but also companies doing great stuff and trying to uh, raise awareness as to why people should really uh, uh, want to help us uh, in the fight against, uh, you know, China really when it comes to uh, AI and, and cybersecurity and, and all this good stuff. So, Right, right. Well, and folks, let's get into the real reason why I wanted Nick <laughs> on the show. He just, ah. he just mentioned it there. Um, you have made no secret of the cultural and change management issues inside the DoD and uh, the frustration point <laughs> that you've reached in your work. And this caught my attention um, because these issues are in uh, basically all large organizations. Uh, they become like a super tanker that just has so much inertia. It keeps going the way that it is. Uh, sure. I'm an operational excellence guy. I'm on the board of advisors of the OPEX Society. And I've seen mm -hmm. these kinds of things up close in large businesses for like 20 years. Sure. Uh, and boy, I was not much of a change agent when I was 25 years old in my first plant manager <laughs> job. I felt I was a demigod from on high telling you how to do what you, whoa, <laughs> that, that, that uh, approach was You're so part wrong. of the problem. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's, uh, over the years, I've learned to go and ask the frontline people, what would you do? <laughs> you yeah. know, how can we mm -hmm. make this better? But so I, I, I would like you to share with us um, some stories exemplifying these problems. I don't want you to embarrass anybody, of course, sure. um, and, and what you would recommend to improve the solution. So this is your chance, Nick, to expand on things you might say in a little snippet uh, interview on Fox <laughs> News or CNN or something like that and tell us the sure. story. So if it takes 10 minutes, good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there are, there are many issues right now that are slowing us down, right? And I think that the main difference that you see between the duty and the commercial side is, you know, when the duty fails, we put the nation at risk. And we put right now, uh, I would argue, uh, our kids... Uh, at a tremendous risk, I would, I would call it an existential uh, threat to, to not only their future, but also the nation as a whole, because we just dismissed the fact that, you know, China is, is now leading in many of the key sectors, right? And so you see in cybersecurity and AI, hypersonic, 
right? They we keep calling them a near peer adversary, but really I can tell you that's not the case. And we keep saying, oh, that's almost a Sputnik moment, or, or you know, we see cyber attacks targeting the old pipeline, water supply, power grids, and just keep dis dismissing it because it was it was impactful, but maybe not enough. You know, I don't know what it's going to take for people to wake up. Uh, but I can tell you, we we're running out of time. And, you know, we're competing against a nation that has 1.5 billion people, of course, also, uh, you know, a communist uh, nation that is not uh, uh, keeping the values that we hold dear and mandating their companies to do business with, uh, you know, the department. And I think what's uh, pretty unique also is, you know, people look at the U.S. companies leading in AI and cybersecurity and and we feel good about it and we should, but what people don't realize is that, you know, the, the government has no access to that technology uh, whatsoever. And so that's a big difference with China and the, the Chinese Communist Party, where they mandate the, the companies to work with the, the government. And we don't have that luxury, although, you know, it's pretty good that we have that kind of freedom. But at the same time, I, I argue, because we don't publicly share and, and let people know how bad it is, and we overclassify a lot of that information, people are just not aware that they should pay attention. And, and you know, I, I argue, most Americans would want to proactively come and uh, join and help us uh, if they knew how bad you know th this stuff is. So uh, hopefully you know we we can uh, openly start sharing more so people realize that hey this is not a joke this is real and, and this is going to be painful uh, if we wait too late. And you know with the compounded effect of AI, uh, you know based on the volume of data they get access to and the velocity of deployment of their of their AI capabilities. Uh, we estimate that past December 2022, uh, there's going to be no chance for us to catch up. So we only have a few, you know, 400 days or so to do that. So, you know, it's, it's pretty uh, scary, right? Um, and so when you look at the, the, the problems, right, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, five categories of, of problem. The, the first one is really the lack of understanding of agility and, and basic agile training. You know, we still don't uh, train people on agile at all, despite that it's 22 years old. Uh, you know, we buy using waterfall mechanisms, you know, small five years requirements, stacking time, uh, small delivery um, of, of big monolithic value. Um, and so it's, it's not agile enough. It's not moving at a pace of relevance. It's, it's stuck in time. Uh, so I think first, you know, we need to educate our people and create the sense of urgency and, and really understand that, you know, we need to remove the fear of failing and you can innovate with a, um, some failing. And the key is to fail fast, learn fast, but don't fail twice for the same reason. So that's kind of the number one is really doing a big push on agility. Um, the number two is really also on the investing and empowering the workforce. And that's where, you know, back to your point, you know, get out of the way if you don't know what you're talking about, empowering at the lowest level, uh, the people that actually do the work, um, you know, having career paths uh, when it comes to cyber, software innovation, AIML, uh, data science, all, all these things where, you know, we need to have progression of pay and title. We need to be able to attract and retain talent. It's not rocket science. We, we've done it before in cybersecurity and different things. So it is doable. Uh, and so really uh, it's empowerment. It's also hard, holding people accountable. Um, and, and so we can uh, deliver value and, and really be transparent when it comes to um, success or, or failures of, of what we invest in when you spend, you know, $750 billion of taxpayer uh, money. But I, I argue again that we get barely 10 cents on the dollar on return on investment, uh, 90 cents wasted just on 
you know, bottlenecks of acquisition and, and nonsense. And, and that's the, the 10 cents of stuff we end up getting delivered doesn't mean it's actually of quality and, and actually stuff we needed. So we may also buy the wrong thing. So now you're compounding that maybe down to, you know, five or two cents of actual value. So we feel complacent because we spend more money than many countries combined and more money than China. But the fact is maybe they are spending it more wisely instead of buying large, you know, platforms, they are buying small, nimble, autonomous platforms that are more like cattle-like, where they can discard them if they want to. They don't have to spend billions on the aircraft carrier or, or hundreds of millions on an F-35. That might not be the way we fight the next battles. And so, you know, um, if China decides to attack Taiwan tomorrow, if they disrupt the power grid in the US, I'm pretty convinced we're going to be so busy trying to fix the grid. We probably going to not have the time to worry about Taiwan too much. So, you know, there are things like that, that, you know, people are dismissing or, you know, but, but effectively every time we did a, a war game uh, against China, we lost uh, very rapidly. Um, that's another thing that most people don't talk about. Another aspect of that is anytime we put AI on the jet, um, the AI capability was able to win over the best US pilots every single time. So again, AI is going to be the difference between winning and losing the wars of, of tomorrow. And whoever is going to lead in AI will be leading the world. We spend more time talking about AI ethics in the US than delivering AI capabilities in our uh, you know, war fighting capabilities. And so that's a very big concern. I'm not saying we shouldn't think of ethics and we should uh, be stupid, but uh, we cannot just be talking about ethics all day. That's probably also not a good idea. Um, and so in the meantime, China is now waiting for us to figure this out. You've seen it recently, even with the hypersonic launches where they've done 200 plus launches, we've done nine. And, and you know, the only way really to um, stop uh, one of these uh, missiles will be through AI defensive uh, capabilities. So, um, you know, again, uh, that's not something we invest heavily in at all. Um, so, you know, we talked about the workforce, we talk about acquisition. The third thing is the silos and egos and uh, you know, the, the duplicative work. Uh, so we get 10 cents on the dollar, but we also build the same things, you know, 20 times across Army, Navy, Air Force, and so on. And, and you know, you see clouds, you see basic cyber capabilities, zero trust, you see DevSecOps, you see all these things, um, data fabric, you know, things that enterprise do centrally and then empower their team to then be more diverse. Uh, but there is, you know, common sense in identity management and different things that you just do centrally. That's just the way life works. That's not how we do business, you know, whether it's email all the way to cloud adoption and contracts, all the way to uh, DevSecOps, identity management, uh, zero trust. Um, each of the services are building things in vacuums. And then, of course, we don't have enough talent. And then, oh, we need to integrate them together, which never works. And we're paying more money to integrate stuff that should even be diversified to begin with. So, you know, a key will be to create a joint office reporting to uh, DevSecDef and, and fix that by merging and, and really uh, putting it in charge of these teams. You know, you, you see, um, you know, three-star generals that have, you know, good intention in charge of the joint AI center or, you know, pick, pick your poison that have zero background in AI, zero background in cloud. You know, you would not put me uh, in charge of uh, flying a jet and with good reason, right? But yet we dismiss that when it comes to IT and we let, you know, pretty much a random selection uh, assigning roles when it comes to uh, IT innovation. And that's very short-sighted. We need instead to uh, pick people based on experience. I don't care about degree. I don't care about anything else but experience. It's like if Google 
was hiring the, the head of Google Cloud and just get someone that never even put a data center in their basement. They would probably not do that. Um, so you probably don't want to do that either, uh, particularly when the next wars will be fought through software-defined means. The rest is going to be anecdotal, and people tend to dismiss that. They get excited about you know big, uh, heavily ex you know expensive, exquisite weapons, but but the fact is that's not probably not how the next battles are going to be won. So you know joint joint work, stopping these silos and egos, breaking that right, and and really thinking as a as an entrepreneur inside of the department. Where you know we're serving the warfighter, we're not mandating stuff, but at the same time, sometimes we need to mandate because people are just you know not using things for the wrong reasons, for egos or because they just don't want to use it. That's not a valid reason. So you know diversity, yes, you know, but it could be in the same office, right? You could have a couple of options uh, or five options. You know, we have twenty-three databases in platform one. You have sixteen primary languages in platform one, right? So plenty of options, but then we had one ICAM stack, one zero trust stack, right? So just makes common sense. So that merging of work is, is essential. And then of course, you know, I think we need to, to make sure we, uh, we are more transparent and do better public-private partnerships so we can bring the best of breed companies, both startups and larger companies. You know, you've seen Google walk away from Project Maven back in the day, uh, three years ago, and now they're coming back. But again, you know, the details matter, right? Because people, Google is saying, well, we, we want to bid on the on the cloud uh, contract that we're, we're going to um, be releasing. But, you know, they always have a caveat. Well, as long as it follows our ethics principles. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure that, it, you know, their ethics uh, terms and conditions uh, state you shouldn't be killing people uh, with, uh, you know, it makes sense. But, but the fact is a weapon is going to kill the bad guy. And that's kind of the point of the weapon. So if you have that in there, you're pretty much saying all you're going to be helping with is business stuff and not weapon stuff. And that's just not good enough, right? We're not here for uh, business systems. That's not why the DoD exists. If you want to do that, you know, and you don't want to do weapon stuff, then don't pretend you want to participate in a DoD bid. That's just completely, that's just like, you know, BS marketing, right? So um, let's make sure that Google leaders are very clear uh, and 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 clarify that because every time I bring it up, they don't answer. It's a black and white <laughs> answer. Are you going to be supporting weapons or not? Yes or no? Don't don't talk about terms and conditions, right? This is the terms and condition can can be interpreted in so many different ways. Not even two lawyers or ten lawyers would agree. They would probably come up with twelve answers. So let's be uh, certain that you know we have a clarity there or don't waste your time pretending you want to be part of the, the DOD ecosystem because you're not, right? So just on it. And then also stop doing business with China at the same time. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, the last piece is, of course, on top of the public-private partnership. And that's really kind of the what we did for World War II with the Bell Labs and the more like innovative stuff, not just the basic stuff we're doing now. I'm talking really next generation joint investments Right and the urgency and and I hope it's not going to take like a you know a massive event bad you know malicious event for people to start paying attention um, and then the final piece is really kind of that uh, accountability and also uh, leadership kind of uh, aspect where you know we've seen the debacle in Afghanistan we've seen a lot of mistakes being made no one is ever held accountable even me talking now people call that operational security risk where. I give allegedly too much information to China. The, the fact is China knows all of this and we all know this. That's kind of a, 
uh, a lie. No one thinks that China has not more information than what I just said today, for example. Um, but yet they use that as an excuse because the fact is the reality is people don't want to be held accountable because if I open that door, then if they mess up tomorrow, they're going to be maybe the one be held accountable for their mistakes and and they like their cushy jobs and they like also leaving the government and go work for the defense industrial base and making uh, their money then uh, for companies that they often gave uh, you know taxpayer money uh, to during their uh, time in the government. So that's also something that's pretty shady and is um, uh, very confusing to me. And I was always uh, a little bit concerned about those conflicts of interesting, you know, people leaving the government, go work for the company that they were uh, kind of funding in the government. That seemed to be uh, pretty insane, but it's legal. So uh, that's that. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, we need to break that DOD bubble. There's a Silicon Valley bubble. You know, they, 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 they don't really realize uh, what's going on in the world you know uh, i guess everybody uh, is kumbaya in, in the silicon valley but uh, I, I think if they were to lose the access and the protection and deterrence of the wolf fighter i think they're gonna have a pretty hard awakening so my hope is that you know they're gonna uh, most of those people will be able to realize that hey we need to pop both the duty bubble and the the silicon valley bubble so we can have a one team one fight approach of you know taking this seriously because I can tell you, it's going to be much worse if we all have to learn Mandarin because we lost the war against China. Mm -hmm. Wow, there was a lot there. Uh, I'm going to have fun going through that and having my <laughs> assistant go through it, pull out all the notes. Um, there's a book in there too. <laughs> uh, why do you say, Nick, that we've got about 400 days to catch up with China or else we're going to lose? We're going to be behind and stay behind. Yeah, if, if you look at, at data, I mean, just basic numbers, right? The, the fact that already we're starting, if you look at day one, you know, 1.5 billion people versus you know, 350 million. If you look at uh, also the, the volume of data they have access to, the, 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 the complete access to their commercial uh, companies, you know, we have a lot of impediments, right? We, we already have, by definition, we need to be stronger, smarter, leaner. You know, we need to be uh, moving fast. Um, and we do the opposite. So not only they are moving faster, they are taking it seriously. They're investing in, you know, into their kids at seven years old to learn AI. We, we don't do that, right? Um, so at the end of the day, I think uh, by definition, we should not be complacent. But on top of that, we are because we've been, you know, winning in, in the Middle East, which, you know, against camels and, and horses. And, and we think that's how that's going to play with China. I can tell you that's not going to be the same battle. You can just aggregate in Asia, a few troops and by the time you even get there you're going to be bombed and gone and and you know and they're going to probably do some, some cyber offense uh, back here and for the first time in history the us is going to be attacked on their on its own soil um so good luck with that one right so you know people need to wake up and 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 so you know you look at the also the the investment they're making in ai and the fact that ai learns upon itself and gets better and stronger with more data and, and the faster you deploy there's an exponential component to it. And, you know, at some point you just can't keep up because you don't have access to the same volume of data and, and you don't have the same volume of, of talent because they have, they have much more talent than we think they, they, they do. In fact, they are releasing more research um, publicly than, than we are. And that's the public stuff. They are doing a lot of stuff they don't release. Um, where on the other end, that's not so true in the US because we're more transparent. So. Um, you know, I, I think overall, you know, the, the numbers are what they are. Uh, you know, we can debate if it's going to be December 2022 or, or March 2023, uh, you know, but who cares? You know, at the end of the day, 
uh, time is now. It's not, it's not in 10 years. It's not in five years. Like we've seen some reports, those dates are effectively when we just are lost, not when we need to, to wake up. Mm -hmm. We need to wake up now. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those who don't uh, know much about electronic warfare, uh, I've done a couple of interviews with a retired electronic warfare instructor that will give you some history. And it's a real cat and mouse game. And the AI that Nick is talking about uh, measures and countermeasures and counter countermeasures, and they're all you know, doing things very quickly. Um, yeah. Coupled with that, uh, undersecretaries of, uh, of defense have said um, that spending and investment on electronic warfare for like 20 years was not very good. We just seem to let that go by the wayside. Uh, there may be some renewed interest in it now, but uh, yeah. there was a long period there of, of not much investment in it. Um, for a country that relies on aerial blitzkrieg as its main thing, you know, that, that made me go, what? What I heard about that. Um, Nick, I have heard from, uh, from security specialists that this is just kind of for fun for our listeners. Um, if you were to compare a Chinese hacker with a Russian hacker, uh, the Russian hacker is kind of a genius by himself in a dark room. And the, <laughs> the Chinese have like a thousand guys in a room, uh, you know, rowing in the same direction. Is that the impression that you have? I mean, Russia is a little bit better than that. I think that's yeah. a little bit uh, un underestimating what Russia is doing, for sure, no doubt, uh, particularly in the last five years. Uh, but China is is taking this very seriously, both in terms of, I'm, I'm actually very concerned of the, the merger of AI and cyber. If, mm -hmm. if they start building, you know, cyber robot, you know, uh, attack robots, where they don't just do basic discovery, but end-to-end -end, uh, hacking, uh, you know, uh, red teaming, uh, th that could be a real, real issue. And I, I think that's a very scary um, thought because, you know, the, the scale of that, it, it would be disastrous, right? And, and then, you know, what also people dismiss is they can be sitting in systems for months or years, dormant until it's time to do to use it, right? So people right now, they have no incentive to disrupt because economies are a little, you know, uh, co-intertwined. But the, the fact if, if there was to be uh, some event in Taiwan, for example, they could start, you know, triggering some of these uh, time bombs, and and then you would have a, a cascading effect of of issues in the U.S. Right, folks. There's a number of small entrepreneurs out there who follow the show. Your WordPress website can download this kind of thing and just have it sitting <laughs> in there. So imagine the IT infrastructure website, yeah. of the nation, right, is just yeah. sitting there. Um, even President Trump uh, had an executive order to uh, to improve this this security. Um, you have, this is a weird one for me, but you know, I'd love to hear your explanation. Uh, you have repeatedly jumped up and down about TikTok and saying what a terrible <laughs> app this is and that it's, uh, you know, infiltrative Chinese stuff. Um, why, what's the problem with it? And why is it a danger to us Americans? Yeah, so, you know, people dismiss it as a gimmick, but but first of all, it's a $450 billion business in the, you know, it grew, you know, like tenfold in, in six months. It's just mind boggling. It, it's not just, uh, you know, kids anymore. It's, it's everybody. Uh, companies are doing advertising on it. Um, the, the volume of, of data being shared there is, is mind boggling. Uh, the, the amount of data they're collecting from cell phones and, and uh, directly pushed back to uh, the CCP, of course, is, is mind boggling. You, you're not just talking about contacts and who you know and what's on your phone, but it's also like what you'll, if you record yourself in video, it's going to be able to use AI to look at 
what you're saying, you know, uh, your mood, your, what you're wearing, what's in your background, like if you have books, if you have stuff in your background. Uh, it's also a weapon of misinformation. They can promote content. They can do a lot of different things. They can win an election just based on just uh, pushing specific uh, content. Um, you know, the, the power of something like this being controlled by the CCP in China in the United States particularly is mind-boggling. I don't understand why we allow it. I don't understand why it's not banned. Uh, I mean, China would already have banned us if we tried to do that. In fact, they do all the time. And yet we don't do that, right? And, and, and they are not even doing that good of a job hiding that it's owned by China and that the data is flowing to China. There was a, a, a test, uh, you know, the, the CEO of TikTok testifying uh, in front of Congress and uh, very pretty much refused to answer the, 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 the basic question as, as if, you know, is the data being shared to their, um, you know, uh, pan company in China? Uh, their terms and conditions are very clear. It says yes, no doubt. Um, but you know, uh, the, he didn't want to admit it. Uh, you know what when he was testifying. But uh, I don't think we have a single doubt that it's happening. Okay. Uh, now, in the '90s, when I was in school, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and since then, you know, waterfall versus agile development methodology uh had come out and this argument has been going on for a long time which one's better but according to yourself and other dod uh, officials i've spoken with one has clearly outperformed the other and uh, they would say you would say actually works right so what has yeah. your experience been and why do you so strongly promote that methodology yeah you know i think particularly when you look at the velocity and pace of it there's no more debate today i think maybe a few years ago you could get away with it and still succeed by you know by having these massive requirements and be stuck in time in two three four years five year cycles but you know if you look at the pace of it today i mean you see it with all the technology around you you don't have the luxury of time you need to deliver a small incremental value and there's just no other mechanism than you know using basic principles of agile you know when i started 20, 22 years ago when i created my company back in france you know i was i was 15 i'm 37 now uh, i was already using agile it was already uh, best of breed but you know i think now in <laughs> 22 years later um there's really no other choice particularly if you have a software intensive program which you know if you look at tesla right the the, the car might be still the hardware might not be changing but you get updates every two weeks with not just the gimmick improvements but actually uh, tangible new capabilities right uh, to to the point where it's, it's becoming a full uh, self-driving uh, platform and, and that's driven entirely through software updates uh, if people don't understand that then they they are in for a pretty tough awakening okay so agile all the way people <laughs> all right yeah, unless you lose uh, unless you will not be able to compete and right. get behind and, and die like another blockbuster right mm -hmm. No, we don't want to be in the ash bin of history. That's for <laughs> sure. So we've been talking about this this tech that's largely out of sight of, of the public, and yet it has this logistical, operational, decision-making, infrastructure, security impact, right? It's this huge impact. Um, in, in a perfect world, according to Nick, what would you have the US working on first as far as strategic direction um, to reach this operational state of readiness that you envision? Well, I think, you know, zero trust is so important. You know, it's really too bad that DHS uh, refused to listen to me five years ago when I pushed zero trust. We would have been in a very different spot now, uh, five years later, if we had implemented zero trust on all the critical infrastructure stuff. And people don't know maybe, but DHS is in charge of all the critical infrastructure from 
water to power to oil to 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 everything and so um you know we would have uh, an ability now to uh, mitigate uh, these kind of attacks and reduce the attack surface reduce the impact reduce the uh, the scale and uh, unfortunately that wasn't the case so we're very much still stuck in time a lot of these industrial systems are very old and getting connected to internet because of the lack of, of talent we have uh, you know, being able to send people on site so people want to access those remotely. A recent breach of, uh, of one of the water facility was because they forgot to update you know, TeamViewer that they were using to re remote into the, the, the system, which, which is it's completely mind-boggling. Uh, you know, some of these capabilities are not even built in the US and we don't really know that well you know, where all that source code is coming from. Uh, you've seen you know, solar winds and you've seen you know, how uh, foreign nations are targeting you know, cyber companies and trying to get into systems. That's going to be the next way to uh, do it at scale. Why do you want to go after each target when you can just target one company that's inside of uh, 100,000 targets and then have access to all of them at the same time? You know, um, so, so this is a really serious thing. You know, uh, right now we're lucky because there's just mo no motivation to use these against us because we're, like I said, we have codependencies. But at some point, there might be a time where um, the benefits outweigh the the cons, and, and China decides to to use them and Russia too. And you know, my my biggest fear is what if actually China and Russia partner on this, yeah. and, and now you know that's going to be a, a very different situation. We could compete with China and Russia with China and Russia separately, right now. But if they if they merge and become one enemy, uh, we have no chance. Right. Yeah. And uh, we've seen throughout history two groups that might not like each other will partner up in order to embarrass a third party <laughs> that, uh, that yep. they both don't like. So why not that? Mm -hmm. um, I think. There's a tendency, uh, myself included, before I started educating myself uh, over the last few years, to believe that this stuff is all taken care of by smart people. And of course, uh, <laughs> it's being handled, right? And the more you dig into it, the more you realize a lot of this stuff is duct taped together. And uh, we're using legacy stuff because, you know, somebody put a a computer in there in 1990 and now some uh, old Macintosh 2 or something is running the show there. Um, that's the tech that they've got and it, uh, nobody's bothered to update it, right? So, yeah. you know, you mentioned in, in your first uh, article about leaving the CSO position that you, were, you felt you were losing your tech edge because you had to run around advocating and educating all the time and that. Um, <laughs> about the basic stuff, yeah. Right. Is there, a, is there something that you wish the officers in charge of, uh, of these departments or whatever should read or watch or anything like that that would really help them out? Yeah, so first, you know, I, I started promoting the, the idea of, of giving an hour a day to our people to learn and not only catch up, but then, you know, um, not getting stale. So I think it's it's a very wise investment. You know, people get um, you know scared about this hour, but they they'll just find paying people that are still. I'm like, are you are you nuts? You know, you, you're spending billions of of taxpayer money on people, and you want them to be still for what reason again? Oh, someone else should do that. Well, you know, how about we do it, right? Um, and, and so it's just clearly uh, something that's so important. Uh, the one book I would say everyone should be reading right now is the the Kill Chain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the kill that. chain is, is just completely uh, spawn on. I mean, I, I was going to potentially write a book and I, after rereading it, 
And I was like, I have nothing else to say. So there's just no point. Just read this book. Uh, the, I have nothing better to say. It's, it's so well explained and, and uh, detailed. There's not a single piece that's not spot on. You know, the, the vision of, of the better way to fight. You know, you look at Afghanistan, you know, China was able to negotiate the mining rights with the Taliban before the Taliban took over the nation by having them visit China uh, without losing a single soul. Um, meanwhile, we lost, you know, thousands of people, uh, left 20 billion of, of equipment uh, on the ground. And uh, that's called the win, allegedly, right? Um, I don't think we're fighting the same fight. I don't think we're, we're fighting small. And when you, you're fighting against, you know, a nation that doesn't share the same values and um, is not going to, you know, it clearly made the statement that they want, they want to be leading the world. Um, and you keep making basic mistakes like this and they're just fighting smarter, you know, um, that's not looking good. And, and, you know, the complacency of winning in the last, you know, few decades, if we call that winning, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think we, we, we were very good at, you know, show, you know, big show of force and, and showing, showing uh, up to, you know, against camels and horses. But, but I don't know if that's going to play the same when it comes to, uh, to China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cyber is a different battlefield, um, and they're doing a lot in space too. <laughs> and they just—I mean—they just took over in you know they just took over in more ships than we have, and you know we dismiss all of this stuff. But uh, hypersonic and cyber—I mean, it's it's every little thing is you know the, the fact that we even all okay with China catching up when you know we should be like Tesla, right? Open sourcing patents because we're so far ahead and moving so fast. We don't even care. We just want to throw them crumbs for them to even be able to be relevant uh, meanwhile we we one day we might wake up and realize no one is trying to hack us anymore because we're so irrelevant that no one even cares that's a terrifying thought nick who do you want to hear from and how should they get in in uh, contact with you yeah and any company that's trying to um you know uh, help us uh, when it comes to uh, any of these uh, fights against china and wants to help the the DoD and is struggling maybe with you know accreditation or other software or you know uh, how to do business with DoD. I'm I'm always happy to help and point them to the right direction. You know uh, we have a lot of great uh, partnerships to to help streamline uh, the accreditation of the software and, and different things that uh, fast track. You know a lot of people were complaining when I started the time it took for a small business. To be able to do business with DoD, I think now it's it's very streamlined. Under a quarter, you can start seeing some very meaningful activity and progress um, if you have a good product, of course. Um, and so I think it's it's very different. I would argue it's no slower than you know the financial sector or healthcare or, or pick pick your poison, right? But um, I, I think it's it's really important, and I think people that really uh, uh, care about their kids' future and not just making a buck should uh, particularly pay attention because. Uh, I don't know what kind of nation or, or opportunities we're going to be giving our kids um, if we don't wake up now before it's too late. Excellent. And the best place for them to get a hold of you is? LinkedIn, no LinkedIn. doubt. Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> All right. Nicholas Chalant, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it a lot. It's been Thanks fun. for having me. So thanks for tuning in again. I recommend that you go check out Nick's LinkedIn profile and follow him on uh, all the great Ask Me Anythings and shows that he is doing uh, and appearing on. It's, it's a gift. It really is. You get to find out from the source what kinds of uh, issues and successes 
are happening in that field. And again, go check out the coldstartech.com website and I look forward to talking to you again soon.